Welcome to Co-op Energy Talk. This is Rachel Johnson with Cherryland Electric Cooperative. Today we're going to talk about Michigan's energy supply and how Cherryland is preparing to meet upcoming challenges with coal plant closures. And we're joined by a very important guest in that endeavor, and that is Eric Baker, the CEO of Wolverine Power Cooperative. Wolverine is headquartered uh, just down south of us in Cadillac, and they supply wholesale power to Cherryland and four other distribution co-ops in Michigan. In total, those distribution co-ops serve 268,000 homes and businesses in Michigan. In addition to Eric, I have Tony Anderson, Cherryland's CEO here, and most of you are probably familiar with him. He keeps us on the straight and narrow. That's right. So Eric and uh, Tony and I are going to talk a little bit about energy supply and what Wolverine is doing to prepare us for the future. Thanks, Rachel. So coal plant closures, that's all we read about in, in our industry. Every day, another coal plant's going to close, or 10 coal plants are going to close day after day. The, and the large IOUs are now going around and, and telling their member, their customers and the general public that this is going to lead to higher prices. So walk us through why these coal plants are closing down. Okay, just before you answer that quick, I'm going to jump in. Just for anyone who's listening who doesn't know, an IOU is an investor-owned utility. So here yep. in Michigan, that yep. would be utilities like consumers and DTE. So you bet. Eric, tell us what's going on. Well, the whole coal industry is, uh, in terms of electric generation, is, uh, is an important and complicated part of our, of our industry. Uh, on the important side, over half of the electricity in the United States comes from coal, not from hydro. Most people, well, many people think it's from hydroelectric uh, dams or, or fuel oil or natural gas, but, but in truth, uh, over about half of the energy in the United States is produced by coal. Um, coal is a, is a known fuel supply in the United States. We know right where it is. We know how many tons exist. And it's also a very stable fuel price. The downsides with coal, of course, are a number of environmental challenges that come with, with coal generation. And so what's, what's happening is you have really three things working against coal generation in the future. One, are, one would be just new environmental rules that are emerging that make older coal plants very difficult to uh, continue to operate. We have to, have to spend, in many cases, hundreds of millions or billions of dollars to retrofit these older coal plants simply to comp comply with environmental rules. The second is public sentiment toward coal has drastically changed over the last decade, especially, that it isn't viewed with, as the wonder fuel like it was for a number of decades, it's, it's viewed as sort of enemy number one on the environmental front. And so public opinion regarding coal is much different than it used to be. And then third, uh, probably the most disconcerting rule that's emerging is, in terms of the coal industry, is new rules on greenhouse gas emissions or climate sort of related uh, emissions. And those are also challenging the electric industry and the use of coal as a, as a primary fuel. So Michigan has relied on coal to a greater extent than most states in the Midwest for its last, probably for the last 30 years. And consequently, a number of the coal plants that are operated in Michigan by Consumers Energy and Detroit Edison are very old, uh, some dating back to the 30s, 40s, and 50s. And they, they need to retire. Uh, they've gotten to a point in their, 
in their life cycle where newer technologies, even newer coal plants are much cleaner, much more efficient, uh, much more cost effective. And these older plants do need to retire. And I think that will be good for Michigan long term. I think it will be very good for our, uh, for our environment. The challenge electrically, however, is that these have been very quiet um, sort of uh, role players in the electric industry for, the, for many, many years, really for the last 20 years. And they produce electricity reliably. They produce it reasonably cost-effectively. And when they go away, the industry is going to face an enormous challenge because these are very big power plants that have been around for a long time and it will take a lot of investment to replace these coal units. And so the churn in our industry is what are we going to do when these power plants retire? And haven't we seen this coming for a long time? I mean, Wolverine's been preparing a portfolio for a number of years and seems to have be prepared for this new future. Other utilities, maybe not so much. Why is that, or can you? I probably can't answer that question as directly as I'd like without getting myself in trouble. So I'll simply say Wolverine has, has been focused on this as its number one issue. Um, to a certain degree, the fact that we don't have legacy coal plants any longer has made it easier for us to be nimble. Um, however, I will say that we saw this, this coming in the mid-90s, and Wolverine used to have its, in fact, its only and original coal plant up on Lake Charlevoix in, in Antrim County. Uh, actually, it's uh, Charlevoix County. Uh, we had a, a power plant that we decided it was time to shut down, and, and we retired that power plant in the mid-90s. Even though it increased our members' cost to do so in the short run, we felt that long-term that that coal plant could no longer be competitive, was going to be too difficult to comply with environmental rules. And so we were the, I believe, the first coal plant to be retired. The site has been fully remediated and has now been repurposed by a developer into a, into a wonderful marina project uh, and condominium complex in a, in a really beautiful resort setting. And so we're very proud of sort of not only the legacy of that plant, but what it's turned into. So while Wolverine obviously made smart choices in terms of our, in our own generation, how will the closure of coal plants by other utilities in Michigan affect Wolverine? Well, there's, there's two parts to that answer. One is, does Wolverine have enough supply to meet its members' needs? And the answer is a definitive yes. The qualifier to that is we are all interconnected in the same electric grid from effectively the Rocky Mountains to the Atlantic seaboard, north to Canada, is all one electric grid. And so a shortage in one place of the grid impacts everyone. And so Wolverine's concern is, even though it is prepared, it's building new generation such that we'll have more than enough power to meet our members' needs, we're very concerned about will the grid have enough supply, especially in the short term, to adjust to the retirements of these coal units that will happen over the next year to two years. So what happens if the grid's not ready? Coal plants shut down. You know, I look at the math of the numbers. There's megawatt after megawatt being shut down. And then when you look to see the projects being built, the math doesn't add up. 
what we're constructing doesn't equal what's going to come offline. So what happens when that math tips? Bad things happen. Um, lights go out just like it did in 2003, and they'll go out for a, a broad swath of the country. And, and so I think utilities are, are coming to grips with that, and they're moving uh, with due haste. My concern is will that be quickly or will that be quick enough to adjust to these pending retirements? And I think um, I'll have a much better answer for next year, five years from now, looking backwards. Mm-hmm. So when, when you find yourself in a position where you're having to build hastily to meet challenges that perhaps were not anticipated, it seems to me that would potentially be costly. What, what do you perceive to be the impact that might have on the rates of a Cherryland member, for example? Well, Wolverine d- works really hard with its members to not be put in a position of needing haste. And so our goal is to, our job at Wolverine is to look well down the road to prepare ourselves, our balance sheet, and our members for investing when we need to do that. And, and so Wolverine spent almost three years trying to find what we felt was the perfect site in Michigan for our next generating plant, which we knew would be natural gas. And we, we spent a, a lot of time, I used it as a development tool with some of my um, up-and-coming uh, potential future managers and, and uh, executives in our organization to use that as a, a a growing opportunity for them to help us find the best site. And we worked through probably 30 different alternatives until we landed on uh, a site near Gaylord, Michigan. Um, So we spent three years doing that, and then we spent a a number of months preparing the Wolverine board and members for, here's what we need to do, here's when we need to do it, here are the cost implications of that, and here are the financial implications of that. And so when we uh, presented that for final approval last December at the December 2014 board meeting. The board was well aware and fully expecting it, and, and we moved uh, with all speed when the market opportunity was right for us to begin that project. So, you know, in our case, it's been a multi-year uh, approach to get ready to avoid exactly what you described, Rachel, which is that, that crisis construction, which... Uh, Wolverine is simply not big enough to get in that game. We have to, we have to stay ahead of, of the curve. So, so right now we are anticipating that our rates will be stable and that we will not feel the squeeze of that hasty. Wolverine, Wolverine and its members were able to do two things. Build this plant before the crisis hit. And number two, time the construction of this plant with other financial decisions that were made 15 years ago such that we can step off of those projects onto this new state-of-the-art project that will and do it in a way that has very little, if any, rate implications to Cherryland and its members on the power supply front. And since Wolverine's bill is is over two-thirds of, of a Cherryland customer's bill, uh, that's really important that we maintain rate stability because that really moves the electric bill for the for the retail customer. And what are we talking about in dollars at Gaylord? I mean, Wolverine's investment in Gaylord will approach $175 million total without raising the rates to Chairland's members. Without raising the rates to Chairland's members, yes. 
And, and Can't you say all, that enough. I know. I say y'all are being very humble about this, but I, I just feel like I have to say it. What an amazing success story for Wolverine with such an amazing implication for our members. Our members are going to be sitting, looking at people served by other utilities who may be experiencing upward rate pressure, enjoying the fruits of this kind of long-term planning and anticipation. We're very, very lucky to be Cherryland members. I'm a Cherryland member, so I can say that. I feel lucky to be a Cherryland member. Well, I want to make it clear that um, that's that 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 commitment and that that success happens um, due to the cooperation of a number of fronts. And Wolverine's financial strength can only be there if if Cherryland and the other distribution member owners of Wolverine allow us to create that financial strength. And so this has been a partnership that is has really blossomed um, over the last ten to fifteen years of how we can be so much stronger by working together. And that that's. That's a, that success story is a product of a number of really good people working hard for a long time, but also really important cooperation between Wolverine and its member owners. The, the Alpine plant in Gaylord is a peaking plant, a natural yes. gas peaking plant. Can you explain to our listeners what a peaking plant is? Sure. Um, just think of how you use electricity in your daily basis. It, it, isn't, it isn't steady. You, we, you know, most of us sleep at night, and then we wake up in the morning, and there's this sort of this surge of demand where we get ready for work or kids get ready for school and uh, electric consumption ra- rises very rapidly and then sort of trails off through the day because there's a lot of natural ambient light, uh, especially in the summer, maybe not so much in mid-February here in Michigan, but um, days are bright during the day and so you don't have a lot of lights on at home. People aren't really at home that much. And then in the evening, people come home, dinners, televisions, air conditioners, all of that uh, washing machines, laundry, et cetera. Then we have typically in, in the rural space, we, we typically have our maximum usage somewhere right around the hour of, of dark, uh, when dark sets. Um, and so we use electricity at variable levels through the day. So what is a peaking plant? The peaking plant is there to provide electricity when we need it most. And so on the really hottest days of the year or the coldest days of the year, that's when a peaking plant sets in traditionally. Now it has a different role, additional role, um, a supplemental role, and that is how do you complement the rapid emergence and significant emergence of renewable energy? Renewable energy, like wind, is intermittent by its very nature. Wind doesn't blow all the time. It, it um, blows hard, and then, it, and then it's calm. And so... The peaking plan allows us to fill in the gaps around this rapidly growing renewable market because when the wind is blowing, we want to re- we want to lean on those wind turbines because there is no fuel cost of the wind when it's blowing. And so, we think that for in our portfolio right now, the state of the art, very efficient, very clean peaking plant is the best um, best balance of how we integrate other alternatives from the market including renewables, into our members' portfolio for the least cost. Is it as simple as you'll turn this on and off when you need it? it yeah. Is, they're big jet engines that you can switch on and off. There it's it's a technology stems from literally from military jet engines, and it's just a much bigger scale, um, permanently bolted to the ground, and they are very flexible. They can start very quickly, and, um, and like modern uh, commercial... Jet engines, they are extremely efficient and very, very clean, and um, it makes for uh, a very flexible generation resource. And 
Wolverine's evaluation puts a premium on flexibility in this current market. So there are obviously a lot of benefits to having a natural gas peaking plant. It's flexible, it complements our intermittent renewables and all those things, but do you have any, what are some of the challenges with natural gas? Like I would think as we increasingly see more and more people moving toward natural gas, are, there might be supply issues, price issues. What are the challenges of, of natural gas versus other fuel sources? I'll say there's two challenges that we are watching very carefully. Number one is price volatility. Natural, natural gas is a much more volatile fuel source than coal. I'll repeat that. Natural gas is a much more volatile fuel source than coal. Uh, in, simply in the last decade, natural gas prices have gone from where they are currently to almost four to five times that price. That's just in the last 10 years. So think of that. Think of if that was the equivalent of, of gas at the pump, uh, that would be the difference between $3 a gallon gasoline at the pump to $15 a gallon gasoline at the pump. That's the range that we see with natural gas. It's very volatile commodity. Um, the second challenge with natural gas is the deliverability. Will it get to your generating plant when you need it to? And we had a bit of a scare uh, over the last two winters in these polar vortexes, or it would it be vortices, uh, <laughs> I think, if I get my Latin correct, uh, the when it got really cold in the in the eastern seaboard over the last two winters, getting fuel delivered to the power plants has been a challenge. And throughout, not just for Wolverine, but throughout throughout the United States, and so. The industry, both the gas industry and the electric industry, is watching this very carefully. We're looking at, at different ways to make those markets work more efficiently together, but it's something that we're staying very vigilant of and, and paying a lot of attention to. You recently testified in Lansing in support of a better transmission connection between the upper and lower peninsulas. Explain to our listeners why that's important. Well, the... the uh, not-so-shocking news is that Michigan is comprised of two big peninsulas. I think we all know that. Anyone, anyone who's lived here for any period of time understands what the UP is and the Lower Peninsula. Um, unfortunately, however, Michigan operates as two separate electric systems. The Upper Peninsula is really a part of the Wisconsin energy grid, and the Lower Peninsula is part of, of the sort of the Upper Midwest uh, Ohio, Indiana, Michigan electric grid, and the two can't really supply power back and forth very well, um, and that's a problem long-term for Michigan. Um, there's direct problems and there's indirect problems. The direct problems are is it affects reliability long-term. The ability to move power back and forth between over long distances is an important part of keeping costs down and reliability up in the electric grid. And we can't do that in Michigan very well. And so that means that our ability to help our own state is, is negatively impacted due to a lack of a robust connection between the two peninsulas. The second indirect thing is that this creates market inefficiencies or grid inefficiencies. And whenever you have a grid inefficiency, costs go up to the customer. And so we see those as the two primary reasons why this is a really important step for Michigan to make an investment to connect our two grids together because we operate in two distinct planning regions and two distinct uh, capacity zones and 
There's no reason to do that. We can be a single state, a one Michigan, and we need to do that electrically as well. What's it going to take to get this connection built? I think it will take tremendous amount of public will. And it's, we're, we live in a world of um, instant gratification and easy answers, and this is neither of those. Uh, this is, a, pro, this is a, uh, a project that's going to require some stick to to get done, but the, the end result will be a very, very vibrant and stable Michigan electrically for the long term, and I think it's worth the fight. We will have to spend several hundred million to maybe even as close to a billion dollars to do this. And you think, well, my goodness, a, a billion dollars, what will the impact be on my bill? A uh, billion dollars in the scheme of the entire electric market in Michigan, uh, while uh, large, is not really significant. So a customer that has a hundred dollar electric bill, this might be a one dollar, this might be a one dollar increase. Um, in a in a in a hundred dollar electric bill. So, the the flip side is that one dollar may actually bring a dollar fifty to two dollars in savings on that bill. Yes. So at the end, I'm not sure that the customer is going to be negatively impacted by that. Um, although there'll be a, it's it's a complicated story to tell. So we have a this this is going to be a long fight and a, a long hard push to get this done. That's my immediate reaction. If if we don't build it, what does it cost me? And that's the buck and a half you're talking about. And after price, why should the average member care? Somebody in Cedar, Thompsonville, why should they care? It's going to cost them a dollar, but are, are there other benefits that are not monetary? Well, I think uh, many of the benefits, even though they're indirect, do come back to monetary benefits, but it will make the grid more efficient. Uh, anytime you make the grid more efficient, that means less energy loss. That means it's better for the environment. We have to generate less electricity to simply heat the atmosphere. It, the, the, what we want to do is generate just enough to supply the customers that need electricity. We don't like to see it go to things that we call line loss or electric losses on the conductors. And the more efficient you make that grid, number one, the lower the losses will be on the grid. Number two is by increasing the grid's ability to move regional power, we can take advantage when wind is blowing and there's excess generation in the northern plains, we can get that power into Michigan. And when Ludington pump storage plant is, is generating on a, on a mild spring day, exactly like today, um, that power can get to other markets westbound. And, and the more efficient and regional the grid is in Michigan, the better the options will be for Michigan's customers long-term, and frankly, the better the environmental profile um, Michigan's generation mix will will have. So similar to driving a car and getting 17 miles to the gallon or improving that car and getting 30 miles to the gallon. Absolutely right. So the, the we're talking a lot about Michigan and, you know, uniting as a state so we can have statewide policy and, and all those kinds of things. But the elephant in the room to me is what's going on at the federal level. So we have the EPA coming out with new 111D rules. Can you just Talk a little bit about how you see upcoming EPA regulations affecting us here in Michigan. Well, directly or indirectly, there will be an enormous impact in Michigan. And it's, Michigan's not unique. This is a struggle that will be uh, undertaken around the country. Uh, no, no state will be immune from this. And 111D is, is simply a, one little section of the Clean Air Act that's being referred to. And it so... All of this comes down to greenhouse gas rules, 
that have been promulgated uh, under the current administration and are set to go final sometime this summer. And so once this rule goes final, uh, typically they're, they're published as a draft rule and then public comment ensues for about a year and we're about wrapped up with that year and then we will see the final rules. Once the final rule is, is completed, you're, you're going to see lots of lawsuits, gnashing of teeth and action. Uh, some will be productive, some will not be productive. The, the bottom line is that we are moving toward a world where coal generation is going to be much more challenged than it is today, and a number of coal plants will be retired, and we have to figure out a way to replace that generation with some other form of, of, of electric generation. So for me, after just listening to you all talk about these complexities we have, the takeaway is, look, there are a lot of challenges and a lot of complexities we face today, but Wolverine is prepared, and we are well positioned to meet those challenges, and that we will do so by maintaining this commitment that Wolverine has to stable, reliable, environmentally conscious power supply for the 268,000 homes and businesses that our distribution co-ops serve across Michigan. And I would add flexible. Inflexible. I love that. Inflexible. So before we end the podcast today, let's go around real quick and do some co-op fun facts. Tony? 18 years after uh, President Roosevelt signed the Rural Electrification Act, we had 90% of the U.S. farms had electricity. So in that 18-year period from 35 to 1953, we got 90% of the farms in the country electrified. I think you and I must have been on the same page today when we were coming up with our, our fact, because here was mine. During World War II, the growth of electric co-ops slowed because of um, limited man manpower and materials. But at the end of World War II, co-ops served about 1.25 million people. By 1950, just five years later, we served 3.5 million people, which I just think is crazy. And today, we serve almost 18 million. And for me, that just really proves the industriousness of rural Americans. And it, it gives me hope. I think if we can do something that big and that dramatic and respond to those challenges, then I, I still feel really, really confident that we will be able to respond to the challenges of the future. Eric, yours. Cherryland Electric customers own Cherryland, and Cherryland owns Wolverine. Wolverine is a nonprofit power supply company owned exclusively on behalf of its members. When Wolverine makes a profit, that profit goes back to its owners. And so this year, Wolverine uh, returned almost $3 million to its customer owners, its member owners, and we hope to continue to do that. And Cherryland's share of that $3 million was about 456000 And while we don't know what will happen this year, just last year, Cherryland returned about $4.2 million yep. to its members. So that's the cooperative difference. Very much so.